0: Good morning and it's good to see you all here this morning hope you're doing well it's good to be taking steps uh, towards getting back together and we had i think around 170 last sunday um, which means we had about 40 to 45 percent of our folks gathering together which also means we've got about 55 percent of our folks still watching from home and uh, so we've got folks joining us live stream right now. We're glad to do that. Last week, we didn't have internet on campus, uh, and so we weren't able to do that. And so we're thankful that even though we're not all gathering in the same place at the same time uh, just yet, we are able to, to at the same time worship together to hear the word together. And so um, for those joining us from home, glad to have you as well. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, just want to share a brief story with you, uh, something that, um, that happened recently during... Uh, the COVID break, is that what we're calling it right now, the COVID break, um, that just, just a reminder, a tangible reminder of God's sovereignty and his care and his concern for every detail over our lives. Um, so going into um, this COVID situation, one of our members had passed away, and before we were able to schedule a memorial service, um, everything went on hold and we were unable to meet. And, and that's not unique just to that one family. We actually have a couple of families in our church still waiting right now to hear from funeral homes and to hear from uh, cemeteries on when they're going to be opening back up. And so as you can imagine, um, that adds grief upon grief, right? Something already difficult becomes more difficult when you're trying to figure out how to navigate um, something like that. And so for this particular family that I'm thinking of, Um, We actually were uh, putting dates on the calendar before we really knew when we were going to open up and had to do so with some flexibility, understanding, hey, let's put a date on the calendar and then let's see what happens. And so what ended up happening is that date got moved twice. So three different dates were put on the calendar before we could reopen. And so actually our first service in here before we open up on Sundays was this memorial service. We were able to finally do that a couple weeks ago. Well, here's where God is in the details. So you can imagine from this family's perspective, it just felt like you were just, just delaying, right? Just delaying and delaying and and at some point, maybe even just picking a random date just to make something happen. And on the morning of that, that funeral, um, just going over my notes, this person was a member, went through our, our database and was just looking at the notes. And to the date, that was the day that person became a member in our church. And, and it's such a small detail, right? One in 365 probability that that would happen right so you either believe in coincidences or you believe in a sovereign God who's in control and just that one little detail for that family to say say, listen even though it feels like chaos around us and it feels like we're just drifting and 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 we don't really know look at how God shows up in tangible ways to remind us that he is in control and that he is concerned and he cares about every one of our lives and so um, I believe that's true about you being here today that God has brought you here today to be a part of whatever he is doing. If you're visiting at home, that God is working in your life as well, even as we gather in different places. And so just that little reminder was such an encouragement of hope to me, to remind me that through it all, God has been working in very detailed ways, um, leading us to our good and his glory. And I'm sure you've probably got stories as well of how God has worked through the situation that we've been in. So now uh, we are in John chapter six, Um, we will be in John 6 today and we'll finish it next week with communion where Jesus actually talks about communion and so after next week what we're going to do is we're going to move we're going to put a pause on the gospel of John we're going to move into a series entitled light in the midst of the darkness and talk about first of all we'll spend three weeks talking about how the church us together how we serve as a light in the midst of the darkness that we experience in the world around us. Then we'll spend about four weeks looking at real life stories of how Jesus as a light shows up in our darkness in very real ways, in our depression, in our anxiety, um, in our addictions, in our brokenness, in our loneliness. And so that's what we're going to do for the summer. And then in the fall, we'll pick up the Gospel of John in chapter 7. So at this pace, it may take us a few years to get through the Gospel of John. It's okay, Uh, but we've got two weeks left in chapter 6. Now, let me just give you some context. So chapter six takes place over the course of about 24 to 30 hours, okay? And what we're beginning to see is there's this kind of reoccurring theme in John six. And what we're gonna see today is how this one chapter in this one book in your Bible is connected to the entire Bible through just a few verses we're gonna read today in John chapter six. So what happens in those 24 to 30 hours are this. We looked a few weeks ago at Jesus miraculously feeding the multitudes. We call it the feeding of the 5,000, knowing that there were a lot more people than just 5,000 there. Just the men were counted at 5,000, but probably closer to 15 or 20,000 people, miraculously fed uh, there on the side of the lake. Then later that evening, Jesus puts his disciples in a boat, sends them across the lake, and he stays to dismiss the crowds. Then early in the morning, it's still dark, Jesus comes to his disciples who still have not made their way across the lake because of the wind and the waves. He comes walking on water to them, gets in the boat with them, and they miraculously reach the shore. Okay, So the next morning then, the people wake up and they're like, wait a second, where did Jesus go? He didn't leave with his disciples, let's go look for him. So they make their way to Capernaum and they find him there in the synagogue in Capernaum. So where we're picking this up is now that next afternoon, okay? So just yesterday in the story, Jesus was feeding the multitudes. Now he's in Capernaum in the synagogue teaching and addressing uh, most of that same crowd. Many of them have followed him all the way over to Capernaum to hear from him and to see what he would do next. And so this is where we're going to pick this up now. In John 6, starting in verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe, and that the Father gives me, excuse me, and all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So the recurring theme we see here now is this idea of bread or food. We know that 24 hours ago, Jesus miraculously miraculously provided this amazing meal of fish and bread, right? And and, then the people ate their fill. They were satisfied in in that meal. And then once they find him in the synagogue, we saw, again, last week we saw where Jesus begins to talk to them about food. Why are you looking for food that doesn't satisfy? food that brings you temporary satisfaction, right? You're good now and you'll be hungry again in a few hours. You should be looking for the food, right? That is eternal, that doesn't go away. And so we left off with the people saying to Jesus, well, give us that bread then. Give us that bread always. And now once again, Jesus is not only talking about bread, he's calling himself the bread. So he says to this crowd of people, that he's been interacting with for over 24 hours now, in some fashion, some way or another, he says, listen, guys, I am the bread. You're still asking for something else besides me. I am the bread of life. And then he adds to it, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the title of today's sermon is Satisfied in Jesus. Last week we looked at this foundation of our own salvation and we took a, took a, took a step back and we took, took kind of, a, a, if you will, a trip back to our own salvation experience. And now from, from last week to this, we're going to take that a step further and, and ask the question, what does it mean to be satisfied in Jesus? Not just to say, I'm a Christian, I have the t-shirt, I've been baptized, but on a daily basis, I am satisfied. Completely satisfied with Jesus. Christ. Now, the theme that we're seeing kind of emerge here in John 6 is connected to the entire Bible. Let's start with Genesis. Think about the garden. Genesis 2, uh, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're placed in the garden to do what? To steward the garden and to harvest from the goodness of God's grace anything they wanted to eat except for one tree. So Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall didn't have to go out and pull weeds. All they had to do was just harvest the goodness of God. Think about that. Just wake up. I'm hungry. Me too. Let's eat. How about you? I have to get up and cook and go to the refrigerator and figure out what's there and then make the meal. All they had to do was just get up and harvest the goodness of God and eat it. And it was good, right? It wasn't spoiled. It was fresh. It was good. After the fall, now everything changes, right? Now you're going to have to work for this food. You're gonna to have to fight against the drought and the thorns and, and, and you're gonna to have to work really hard. It'll be by the sweat of your brow that you will eat going forward, Adam. But then we get to the book of Exodus and the nation of Israel, they're out wandering through the wilderness and what does God do? He shows up and miraculously provides both water flowing from a rock and, and food in the form of manna that they would eat their fill. Remember what God said? All you gotta do is show up and just gather it. Just wake up and it'll be there. You get to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Look at what the prophet Isaiah says. This is starting in verse 1. This invitation from God, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me, and eat what is, listen, good, and delight yourselves in rich food. What a beautiful invitation. Come and eat good food, right? Not second-rate food, not unhealthy food, good food, rich food, satisfying food. Oh, and by the way, here's the price for that food. It's free. Come and buy good food, food that doesn't spoil, and I'll provide it for you for free. You get to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, the same food is mentioned again. Listen to Revelation 21, verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, or also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. These are big words, big statements, aren't they? Look at this, the end of verse six. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without what? Payment. Payment. Come and buy water that you can't afford and I'll give it to you for free. And then go to the very next chapter. This is Revelation 22. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have set, sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Gospel of John, Jesus is there at the well in John chapter four, talking with the woman at the well. Verse 13, he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Which water? The water in the well, the water that comes out of your bucket. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15, and the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And now here in John 6, Jesus is saying, guys, listen, I'm the bread. I'm the water. It's not some abstract thing that I give to you. It's me. It's me. Now, in, earlier in John 6, the day before, when the crowd is gathered there and they've all been fed, and the disciples gather up 12 more baskets of food. How many of them are there? 12. Does God care about details? Yes. Yes. But there's this one word description of the crowd in verse 12. It says that when they had eaten their fill, that Greek word means to fill up to the top, or it can also be translated satisfied. When the people were completely satisfied, then they gathered up 12 baskets. So the the meal they ate was more than enough. And this is this beautiful living metaphor of Christ setting the table for us on a daily basis to come, come to me, come and eat the good food that doesn't spoil, come and drink from the well that doesn't run dry. Well, how can we buy that? How can I afford that? And Jesus says, here's how, because it comes to you at no price. This beautiful gospel truth comes, just resounding out of these scriptures. Here's the truth, the source, of our greatest satisfaction comes to us at the cheapest of prices. Specifically, eternity with Jesus for free. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. Jesus even, he he hints about it in verse 36 in John 6. We just read it. He says, but I said to you, you have seen me and yet you do not what? Believe. That's your payment. How do I get this satisfaction in Jesus. How do I get this food and this water that never go away? Jesus says, here's how you get it, by seeing and believing. You and I, Christ's follower, have been invited to the banquet table of God. I don't know what the best meal you've ever eaten is, but it's better than that, right? Your your most satisfied moment here on earth is, does not compare to the satisfaction in Christ. And God says, come, eat from this table and you'll never be hungry. Drink from this well and you'll never be thirsty. And we say, well, I don't know how to get there. How do I purchase a ticket at that banquet table? And Jesus says, listen, I've already purchased the ticket for you. Come, come. You who have no money, come. Come. Okay, but but Jesus, on the back end, once the meal's done, I can't pay you back. And Jesus says, listen, I know you can't. I paid the price in full. It's paid for. Come. Isn't this a beautiful expression of the gospel itself? Come. Find satisfaction for your souls. I'm going to think for a minute about what we mean when we talk about being satisfied in Jesus what we mean is so much more than being comfortable or happy. As a matter of fact, if you are a follower of Jesus, he will oftentimes call you to things that are uncomfortable and don't don't lead to your immediate happiness. If the God you believe in does not do that, you're believing in a false God. Just being honest with you. Like we're reading the gospel of John over and over again. Like he sent his disciples out in a boat into the dark against like right? Send them out into the storm. Does that mean he doesn't love them? No, it means he does love them. And in that, he reveals something amazing about himself to them. And listen, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. As Christ followers, what are we supposed to find in our hardships? Joy. Remember James said that? Consider it joy when you face hardships and trials of many kinds. Why? Because we know that God works in, in the hardships. The hard things that you and I face in life things that cause us pain, things that cause us sorrow, things that maybe even cause loneliness. It's like the tilling of soil in our souls. It rips us open, it lays us bare, but in doing so, it exposes this rich, fertile soil in which God plants good seeds that come to life and produce good fruit. And without the tearing of the soil, there's not good fruit. And so, when we talk about the satisfaction of our souls, we're not talking about immediate comfort or even immediate happiness. What we're talking about is peace, joy, and security. Peace, joy, and security for our souls. We think about peace. What's peace? What's the opposite of chaos? (laughs) We try so hard to produce peace, don't we, in our everyday lives. We organize our lives to produce peace. We have date reminders, we have to do lists. We have rules for our household, rules in our workplace, all meant to what? Keep things peaceful. But at the end of the day, there's only so much you can do to control the chaos in the world around you, right? As Christ's followers, though, the peace that we have in our souls can't be touched by the circumstances around us, right? The world around us could be flipped upside down, could be coming apart at the seams, yet in Christ, the satisfaction we have, right? The world around us can't touch it. We have this peace that surpasses understanding. That means peace that doesn't make sense. If you can keep things calm and quiet in your house, it makes sense that there's peace, right? We keep the world, like keep the protests from happening, keep the the crime rate down, keep everybody healthy. Go, okay, well, that makes sense. Now we have a peaceful world. But God says, listen, I can provide peace for you even when the world's upside down. See, if you're looking for temporary satisfaction, that's not me. That's what God says. But eternal satisfaction is found only in me. And then a sense of security. I know that many of you struggle with anxiety. And so going into this COVID situation for you, it was just like pouring gasoline on the fire in terms of that struggle. Because you shared that with me. Some of you who feel like maybe you've never dealt with anxiety have started dealing with it and struggling with it because of what's going on. Just the uncertainty that's going on around you and not sure what to do, what, not to, what to do, what's right to do, what's not right to do. I love where Jesus ends here in 37 in our, in our verses today. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now there's a lot packed into that verse that we're not going to unpack today. But what I want to do is extract the main thing he says. Everybody who comes to me is Secure will not be rejected, will not be cast out. Jesus doesn't invite you to the table today to shove you away tomorrow. You ever been in a situation where waiting, waiting on the next shoe to fall, the other shoe to fall? Just kind of on edge, maybe even about your job. Like I just, I, at any minute I could get called in and be furloughed or fired, laid off, whatever. Right, living in uncertainty, Jesus says, listen, you're gonna have uncertainty in the world around you, but there will always be certainty in me. All everyone who comes to me, who receives this invitation, I will never cast out. I will never reject. Those are just a few examples of the satisfaction that we have in Christ. I think this satisfaction in Christ plays out in everyday life in um, in a couple of categoric ways that I think are obvious. Um, and so I want to point those out. One is just in the idea of stewardship, the way we steward what God does for us, the gifts He gives us, whether that's your money, it's your possessions, your time, your resources. Right? And here's why because when we're satisfied in Christ, right? I consider the things He's blessed me with as just tools to manage. I don't find my joy in these things so that if He ever calls me to give something away or help somebody, I'm ready right? These things are just temporary. So, like, being called to follow Jesus does not mean that you've been called to poverty, right? We've, We've been blessed at different ways, different levels, different amounts of financial income. You can have a lot of wealth and be a Christ follower, right? You can be completely poor and be seeking your satisfaction in money, right? So, the point is not how much money you have. It's where you find your satisfaction, right? So, Think about it on a daily basis. Like, is there this readiness to say, listen, this is all yours, God. Why? Because my satisfaction is in you, not in this stuff. And if you call me to give it all away, I can easily do that, God. Why? Because my satisfaction is not in these things. The flip side of that is when we're pursuing satisfaction in our stuff, there's always a pursuit, isn't there? Enough is never enough. Right? The new car that you've been dreaming about for 10 years on week number two starts to smell like an old car. And then you're already thinking, well, I wonder what next year's model is going to have. You know, self-inflating tires or something cool. And I want that model. And right, Finally get the house in the neighborhood that I've always wanted. Everything's going to be good now. And then you get into the house. You're like, wait, we still fight in this house like we did in the last house. My kids still disobey me. You have a brand new bedroom smell the paint on the walls, and our children are just as rebellious and disobedient, Why? because the possessions don't fix anything, but when we're looking for our satisfaction in possessions and things, you can tell, right, because there's always a pursuit, and enough is never enough, but here's another thing I want you to think about, you can also tell in your relationships, you know what the number one killer to your relationships, whether your marriage or your friendships, work relationships, you know what the number one killer is, False expectations. Oh, that makes sense. You know where false expectations come from though? It's when I expect something out of you to make me happy. I expect something out of you to bring me peace. And when I put those false expectations on you and you don't meet them, now I have a lack of peace or insecurity. I'm not happy. Listen, this kills marriages. And where does it stem from? It stems from a lack of satisfaction in Christ. I'm looking for my satisfaction in you and I'm putting expectations on you because I want you to make me feel secure and happy. So when you don't do that, I get mad at you. I treat you badly and I justify being a jerk to you. Why? Because you should treat me better. Now, the, the scriptures do call us to a certain set of principles that we live by and that govern our relationships with one another. We're supposed to be generous with one another, patient with one another, forgiving with one another. But at the core, if you're not satisfied in Christ, you're going to look for that satisfaction in the people around you. Listen to me. They will not deliver. They will fail you every time. And, and so many of our relationships are, are in tension right now. Why? Because you're not doing what I need you to do. You're not meeting my expectations. Listen, your spouse is a lousy savior. They may make a really good spaghetti dinner, but they're a lousy savior. This is why we overreact to our children sometimes. You ever been embarrassed by one of your kids in public? If not, and you are a kid, you've embarrassed your parents in public. So everybody in the room, like, like why does that hurt so bad? Because we put these expectations on our kids, right? Quit yanking stuff off the shelf at Walmart. So embarrassed, and when we look for our satisfaction in our kids, and they don't meet our expectations, what happens to our soul? We're in turmoil. Right? We, our inner peace is gone. It won't be restored until little Johnny quits making a fool of himself at Walmart. These are two examples of where you can see when your satisfaction is being derived from anything other than Christ. And so how do we get it? How do we get this satisfaction? It's so what the woman at the well was wanting. The crowd here at the synagogue, they're asking Jesus, well, give us that bread. How do we get that bread? And Jesus answers the question simply, I am the bread of life. It can only come from me. It can only come from a relationship with me. Well, how do we, how do we pay for that? Jesus says, here's how you pay for it. Just come. That's it? Yeah, just Come. Just come. Now, here's what you, we need to hear, Christ followers. This invitation to come, it's a continuous invitation to come, and I'm not suggesting that you're moving in and out of your salvation, but what I am saying is that we do move in and out of finding our satisfaction in Christ. It's not enough to say, I made a decision one day 20 years ago at Vacation Bible School. I put a t-shirt on. I got baptized. I'm good to go, and they gave me this momentous Bible, this, this, um, momentous Bible. Jesus says, no, 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 (laughs) I'm inviting you the next day to come, and the next day to come, and the next year to come, and the next year to come. You're going to need just as much from me tomorrow as you need today. Come. And so as Christ's followers, we have to position ourselves under the well of this satisfaction that does not run dry. So how do you do that? Well, one way we do that is, is by the weekly gathering. So whether you're at home or you're here with us today, this is part of that. We gather together as the saints. We exalt Christ together. And as we exalt Christ, we're positioning ourselves under the fountain of his grace. We're reminding one another the goodness of God and how much we need God and how God shows up every time we need him. We remind one another of that. But listen, this is not enough. The weekly meeting together is important. It's sacred, but it's not enough. You've got to go to the well on a daily basis. Now, what we're not suggesting is that if you, in your list of to-dos, will put a box on there and put dash quiet time, that that will satisfy you. Now, you may need to put it in your schedule. That's fine. What we don't mean is that I open the Bible, I say a prayer, and then I check a box, and then I go back into the world and do what I was doing. What we're talking about is positioning ourselves to open the word of God, to hear from God, to experience God. Jesus does not give us the bread of life as some Abstract thing, he gives us himself. You with me? And so it takes time to quiet yourself, to pray, to hear from him, to open the Bible and say, God, I don't know what I'm going to read today, but here's what I want. I want to find you. I want to learn about you. I want to hear your voice today. I want you to speak to me today. And in doing so, you position yourself under this eternal well of life that does not run dry. Why? Because we run dry. The Bible compares us to vessels. Think about a vessel, a vase, clay pot, okay? Its value is found in what it contains, right? What it holds. So in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, he said, hey, we're like vessels. So, so think about my life. I'm a vessel. If you knock me over and pour me out on the ground, the only goodness that's gonna come out is Jesus, Everything else is a mess. It's a wreck. It's broken. It's tainted, right? So the only goodness in my life is Christ. That's the only goodness in you. But instead of being these beautiful vessels fit to be put in a museum or in the china cabinet, we're broken. We're shattered. We're, we're cracked. Just last week, I pulled one of my favorite coffee cups out of the, the, the cupboard, really nice porcelain cup. Fixed my coffee, set it there on the counter, walked away to do something, came back, and I noticed coffee on the counter. And I was like, man, I must have been sloppy pouring that coffee. So I took a napkin, I dried it off, dried off the counter, dried the bottom of the cup, sat it down, went and did something. I came back and not only was there coffee on the counter, half my cup was missing. This is like a porcelain coffee cup, y'all. I'm like, what are you talking? So I pick it up and sure enough, there's a hairline fracture that's been leaking coffee for the last 10 minutes. Listen, Christ follow. we're vessels and we're leaky vessels, right? We are. It's like the idea of trying to put out a fire with a bucket that has a hole in it. We've got to continually go back to the well, don't we? We've got to continually place ourselves under the well of Christ, his goodness, his grace, our satisfaction in him on a daily basis that we might be filled up. That if part of my life is splashed out into the world or spilled out into the world, something good might come out. But trust me, if I pour myself out today, I'm empty tomorrow. Not because I'm not saved anymore. Why? Because I've got to go back to this well. So when the people say to Jesus, give us that bread, Jesus says, I'll give you that bread. It's me. You want that, you want that bread tomorrow? Come meet with me tomorrow. And so this is the invitation to come. There's a quote from one of one of my favorite books for pastors is written by um, a pastor by the name of John Piper. He wrote it about 15 years ago. Uh, and it's a book entitled Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. And there's this, this section in the book that has been so helpful for me as a pastor where he talks about this leaky bucket principle. And he's speaking, mind you, to or to pastors, so this principle applies to all believers. He says, listen, my bucket leaks. Even when it's not pouring... My spirit does not revive on the run. Without time of unhurried reading and reflection beyond the press of sermon preparation, my soul shrinks and the specter of ministerial death arises. This perpetual need to come to Christ. So so if you're a Christ follower, I understand Jesus was enough yesterday, but is he enough today? And the the way we'll know if you believe that is is we'll, we'll be able to see where your satisfaction is. Is it Christ that you run to for your satisfaction? Or are you looking for that in your career, your kids, or your spouse, or your friendships? On a daily basis, we run to Christ. I want to leave you with this gospel truth. I'm going to pray for us give you some things to think about, and then we're going to begin to reflect on what God may be speaking to us today. Here's the gospel truth. The source of our greatest satisfaction in life comes at the cheapest of prices, namely, eternity with Jesus for free. Eternity includes tomorrow, and it includes Tuesday, it includes Wednesday, all the way, back to, ne- all the way to next Sunday. Eternity. Your relationship with Jesus is not on hold waiting for you to die. Jesus said, no, 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 come to me now, today. And so I want to end by just praying for us, praying for you. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, let's start there. For the Christ followers in the room who you know your tendencies are what? To to drift, to look for satisfaction in temporary things. Jesus says, listen, stop, come back to me. You need me as much today as you needed me 20 years ago at VBS. You need me as much as you did a month ago when your job was was in jeopardy. You need me on a daily basis. So as we get ready to pray, here's some things I want you to think about. Can you think of examples in your life where um, you've found temporary satisfaction in things? Maybe just look back. What are some things that you can remember running after, thinking, This will make me happy. This will bring me joy. And maybe it did for a moment and then it was like gone. Maybe it was a relationship. Remember when you were a teenager? If I just get a boyfriend, I'd be so happy. You're like, whoa, I need a better boyfriend because this one's not making me happy. And maybe it was a possession. Maybe it was a vehicle, a car, a house, this idea, the picket fence, the right neighborhood, whatever it was. Now I want you to ask yourself a more honest question. Is there anything in your life right now that you're pursuing temporary satisfaction in? I'll say it this way. Is there any area of your life where you're searching for something more than what you currently have? Got one honest man in the room. Thank you. I I hope the rest of us are actually asking ourselves this question. Is there any area of my life where I feel like I don't have enough? Friends, relationships, money, career, whatever it is. And then I would follow it with this final question. What change can you make this week to better position your life to find your satisfaction in Christ alone? Maybe take that step of faith today and become a Christian. That's the beginning of that. But for the rest of us, we need to think about that. What does this look like for you on Tuesday? What will this look like? What step can you take this week to better position yourself to find your satisfaction in Jesus and him alone? And to that end, I want to pray now. And um, currently, our prayer partners will not be down front. Our pastors will be available over here. If there's something going on you'd like for us to pray about, we'd be happy to do that. Um, Our worship team's going to come forward, and we're going to pray and respond to God. Let's do that. Um, Father, we're so thankful. Not only have you given us so much in Jesus, you remind us of it often. Over and over again in in the Bible, we read about this beautiful gift in Christ that comes to us at no price. Whether we're reading the book of Genesis or the book of Revelation or the Gospel of John, we see your goodness. God, it's so clear to us. You've invited us to find not a temporary happiness, a temporary satisfaction, but an eternal satisfaction that can only come out of a relationship with you. So Father, today as we think about what that means for each of our lives, we pray your Holy Spirit would work in us right now. Would you do that, God? Would you stir in us both in this building, in this place, and in the lives of people watching at home? Father, I pray, first of all, that each, every, each individual here would truly take a step towards finding their satisfaction in Jesus alone. And I pray for us corporately as a church that one of the hallmarks of Solid Rock Church would be that we are a people satisfied in Jesus. We say together, you are enough for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.